Welcome back to another episode of Small Town Big Takes. Diving into a little NBA this episode is episode 35. One, two, three, four, five, six in a row for our hometown 76ers. Joe, take us in. Yeah, Chase, super excited to be here tonight. And we got special news. We have a third member on the podcast tonight. Ryan Henry from Seton Hall Radio, 89.7 FM WSOU. Ryan, happy to have you here. Thank you for hopping on. Yeah, welcome. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to be on. Uh, this has been a, a little bit in the works. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, I know you, Joe, through your brother, and this has been some of the works I we thought about get, doing some earlier. Things fell through, but I'm finally glad to be on. Talking some basketball, some Sixers. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's an interesting time. They're they're now rolling, and I'm I'm excited to get into this. Yeah, they are definitely rolling. Um, it was nice to see them get right and beat Boston um, the other night, you know, especially after being up three games to two last year and infamously, you know, the Mother's Day massacre and blowing that. But here we are. Um, this team is looking good. Harden is out. It seems that there really is a new new vibe, new demeanor to the team. Nick Nurse is in some new faces. And Embiid was, uh, he said today, there's no egos on this team. Pretty direct shot there to James Harden, but. I'm loving what I'm seeing from the Sixers team. Yeah, I have to agree. And, you know, I, as soon as James Harden leaves, Embiid's averaging close to almost six assists a game and becoming a playmaker that no one thought he would become. No one thought he can be. Who knew he could play off the ball? Who knew he could pass out of double teams? But without Doc Rivers, I think anything is possible with Nick Nurse and Joel Embiid. I mean, this. I think Nick Nurse can bring out even more out of our MVP that maybe a lot of Philadelphians weren't going to see. Yeah, I mean, just I was excited for the Nick Nurse hire. I'd always been a Nick Nurse guy. I think he's probably, you know, if not in the converse, if not the best coach in the NBA, in the conversation being the best coach in the NBA. Obviously, he won that ring in 2019 with the Raptors. But even after the fact, I always felt his team's you know, either were at expectations or exceeded expectations, especially that year during the bubble when a lot of their stalwarts from that 2019 team had left. I feel like he adds a lot of dynamic elements uh, in terms of offensively and defensively. And he just, you know, he's bringing something new to the table because, I mean, and it's leading to success right now, six in a row, uh, best record in the Eastern Conference. And I'm loving, loving the Nick Nurse hire so far. It's really coming to fruition. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up that um, bubble series against the Celtics. That was one of my favorite series of basketballs I've ever watched. That Brad Stevens-Nick Nurse chess match was unreal. And I remember OG Ananobi hitting that buzzer beater to send it and then going to seven games. It ended up Toronto without Leonard just really didn't have the horsepower to take down a Jason Tatum-Jalen Brown Celtics team. But that series was nothing short of elite, and it really shows that, yeah, Nick Nurse is that guy. He's a player elevator, and... I think we're already seeing he's a clear upgrade over Doc Rivers. I mean, the spacing, everybody's getting involved. The players are making comments about how they feel more comfortable. The offense is a new flow, new identity, all good things. Yeah, like, again, Tyrese Maxey, another point jump, averaging 25 points per game last year compared to 20 points per game uh, in the previous year. And I just think no players on a leash. And um, Paul Reed, other known as B-Ball Paul said and quoted, I don't feel like I'm on a leash, and if I do something wrong, I don't get pulled. To me right there, that just says Doc Rivers had it in his own way, and if someone messed up just the slightest bit, 
They're out of the game. They're benched for a couple of days, and you saw it. Um, Paul Reed was being benched for Paul Millsap at times, and you were questioning why Doc Rivers is playing a 38-year-old Paul Millsap who's barely even played on the Brooklyn Nets. Um, so there was just a lot of questions with what Doc Rivers brought to the table and how players reacted to him. And now you see how a offensive adjustment coach in Nick Nurths can explode this offense. You look at Tobias Harris shooting the best splits of his career, almost over 60% from the field, averaging 20 points per game. I mean, we haven't seen that Tobias Harris since we traded for him when he was on the Clippers. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like the the offense is functioning at a whole nother level. They are, you know, the sixth ranked best scoring offense in the NBA. Uh, I saw set. Uh, it was a couple of days ago. I don't think it ca- included the Celtics game, so it might be a bit off now. But I saw from compared to this year and last year, they were, you know, top three in pick and rolls ran, but bottom three in dribble handoffs ran. And now that that's flipped, but and it works so much better for the Sixers offense. You have Tyrese Maxey who. His greatest asset as an offensive player is his downhill speed. You know, when he gets the ball and can run in space, there's, it's so hard to catch him on an angle. It's like, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going too far this comparison, but it's God, like, you he, know. He might be the fastest player in the league. He really might be. Yeah. I, I There definitely is a case. For, I, I mean, I, I don't have the exact sprint speed data on me, but yeah, I feel like, yeah. yeah. But like, it's like, you know, ty, you know, if you're going to the NFL, it's like Tyree Kill in open space. It's just so hard to get him on an angle and then. When Maxie's driving to the rim, he's such an elite finisher at the rim as well. Soft that touch. Just has that soft touch as well. And you, I, Chase, like you mentioned Tobias, I've been someone who I, I've i kind of flipped a little bit on Tobias Harris. I used to be a vehemently, vehemently against him, especially when you looked at, you know, he wasn't great in the Toronto Raptor series a few years ago. The Atlanta Hawks series, he was just abysmal, but... I started to turn a bit on him, and he, and I remember Nick Nurse at the beginning of the year saying, we want Tobias Harris to be aggressive, take 20 shots a game. Just giving him that mindset and that confidence to go out there and score, obviously, you know, the, the offense should still run around, should still focus on Joel Embiid and then Tyrese Maxey next, but just instilling that confidence in your player, players. It's not something we saw with Doc Rivers. You mentioned Paul Reed really never found a role. I mean, looking at... Other players who have since left, I mean, I think of Isaiah Joe, who was oh my the, goodness, who was mm-hmm. top, was one of the best three point shooters last season, couldn't sniff any minutes. And I mean, it's just instilling that confidence in your players, and it's building this team culture. Which, frankly, I, I mean, ever since I've been watching the Sixers, I've been watching since you know the early to mid 2010s. I, I've just never had experienced a coach like this, and it's a, fr- a breath of fresh air, honestly. Agree. Yeah. I mean, I would argue that if Ben Simmons didn't, you know, go on his whole Ben Simmons thing, I don't know if we ever would have seen Tyrese Maxey become the player that he is simply because I just don't think Doc would have given him the opportunity for for whatever reason it was. Doc just would not give the young guys the chance. And it bothered me so much. Like, yeah, we're talking about Paul Reed. Isaiah Joe never got his chance. Now he's on the Thunder. The Thunder. I mean, it seems like every move they're making is just a home run. They're going to be a force to be reckoned with for years. But yeah, no, Maxey, the development. And now Jaden Springer, you know, he looked great in the G League. Doc wouldn't give him the time of day. And now, you know, we're seeing him get more minutes. He hasn't really quite taken the jump, I think, that he will yet. But he's getting the minutes, and he at least now has the opportunity to take the jump. Yeah, like you said about Jaden Springer, probably one of the best guards for on-ball defense. I mean, just the way he can guard defensively. And, again, like, it's almost like when you have different lineups on the court, you're not – you don't need Jaden Springer to score. 
you, you might need him to go shut down a Kyrie Irving, a Drew Holiday for, you know, a couple of possessions, which he can give you. And I think, you know, Nick Nurse understands that. And he's going to be like, all right, go shut down a point guard for a couple of possessions. We need Tyrese to rest, which is what's going to be huge, um, especially with the way this rotation has been playing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would – sorry. I would say – Jane Springer, uh, I'm intrigued to see what he comes at the end of the year because, you know, this is really his first full action of NBA uh, runtime. He's a he's a very raw player. He I think when he got drafted, he was the youngest player to be drafted in his draft class. If I remember, he came in with a very high defensive skill set, but the offensive game wasn't there yet. He had some time. He developed, became really good in the G League, and this is something. This is kind of a product Nick Nurse is used to. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying he's going to become this guy, but. You know, he's dealt with G League, G League development players and Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. These were guys who were undrafted players, second-round players who became NBA All-Stars who are getting max contracts. Now, obviously, I don't want to say, like, Jane Springer's going to become an All-Star because I think that'd be a little, you know, a little wishful thinking. But he's had that experience before, and there is that void for a guard spot on this team. I mean, you're looking, uh, you know, you know, obviously Patrick Beverly is getting some run time now, but... He's 35, you know. We, you know, maybe there could be that transition where he kind of later on in the season he develops more and becomes that third guard or that lead guard off the bench, which I think would bring a dynamic element to the Sixers. You know, no offense to Patrick Beverly, I just think the ceiling with Springer at this point in his career is probably higher, but obviously the flow is is lower, floor is lower. But I'm very intrigued with the prospect. He's at least giving him runtime, and he's get he's making his players accountable as well, which is something. I feel like we didn't get with Doc Rivers. 100%. Yeah, no, I'm giving Patrick Beverly a ton of props right now. He's actually leading the league in plus minus for coming off the bench. But like you said, 35, I just don't know how sustainable that is throughout the long NBA season. So I would, I want to see kind of a baton get passed to where Jaden Springer starts taking more of those Beverly minutes. But yeah, I mean, Beverly's going to come up huge in the playoffs. He's a veteran. He, you know, he's say what you want about him, but I think he is a leader. I think he's good he's a dog. Him. Yeah, he's you know, a dog. This team needed to toughen up, so I'm they tired. Have, I'm tired of seeing a guy to represent Philly. Absolutely, yeah. I'm tired of seeing Marcus Smart come in here, push our guys around, talk that talk. Like now we got a guy, we got a dog, a guy who's gonna set the tone, who's not afraid to lay a hard foul two minutes into the game and just set the tone, get the place rocking, and we got that now. Yeah, and I want to bring up someone who's gone under our radar right now, and that's Kelly Oubre. What a signing towards two weeks before training camp this was by Daryl Morey. I loved it from the beginning. I saw his numbers in Charlotte, what he can do as a scorer. And the Sixers' problem for the past, I would say, four or five years, even during the Embiid era, is a 3 and D wing. We never really had a true 3 and D wing. I mean, you could say Robert Covington, but then we traded him away for Jimmy Butler. Um, but other than that, I haven't seen a true 3 and D wing who can be successful alongside Joel, who needs the three-point shooting. So he doesn't get crowded down in the post. So he can play, you know, at his full potential and where his strengths are. You know, being a center who can move like Hakeem Olajuwon and shoot the mid-range like Michael Jordan. At seven foot two. Yeah, I mean, going to Kelly Oubre, I, I, you know, I know there's, you know, there's been deficiencies and people have said self about his past, you know, a lot of inconsistencies in terms of like he will have those outbursts, but at this point, but just looking at it, I don't know how a guy who, you know, over the past 
four or five seasons has averaged, you know, 15, 16 points a game, you know, starter, you know, six-man starter just goes unsigned for the vet minimum. He is a talented player, you know, he's obviously not without his faults, but he's a very talented player, very capable of putting the ball in the basket. And the fact that, you know, no team wanted him and Sixers got him essentially for free is an absolute steal. He's been great in the minutes he's given thus far. He's stepped up in, into that role and become a great player for the Sixers. I mean, he not only is he averaging 17 points a game, he's doing so on good shooting splits. Great. We'll see if it's yeah. sustainable. But, I mean, still, if, if, so, if, if you're getting, you know, 15, 17 points a game from your thir- fourth option, that's really good scoring production regardless, especially at the value you got his contract at. It, it's just unfathomable how he went. I remember at the time of the signing, I was like, I was excited because they got a good they got a good NBA wing for nothing. So, yeah, I mean, a, some luck on Sixer side get it for him falling through the cracks, but definitely paying dividends on for Daryl Morey of just giving him a chance. Yeah, no, nah, and yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. There's two things I want to piggyback on. One, yeah, the vet minimum, I really it's unfathomable because this guy's 28 years old. You know, it's not like he's 32 with an injury history like. He's still in the prime of his career. But another thing you brought up, sustainability. That is what I'm worried about. I need to see it a little more out of Ubre, just because he's a career 33% three-point shooter. He's shooting 41% right now. He's a career 43% from the field, and he's shooting 52 with us. So he's kind of playing out of his mind right now. Um, you know, maybe he did just put the work in, took that kind of jump, but... He's still, you know, he's still a guy who's on his career averages a steal a game, and he's, he's a low turnover guy, only averages one turnover per game on his career, but the shooting splits, I do think he's shooting a little out of his mind right now. It wouldn't surprise me if his shooting leveled out to, say, maybe 37, 38% from three, but still, nonetheless, even if he was the Ubre that he's been his whole career shooting 31% from three, excuse me, 33%, for the value, it's still an outstanding signing. And, hey, if he's going to play like this all year, he's going to earn himself a lot of money. Yeah, and, again, a fourth, you know, score. It's not like you're asking him to be the second or first score. Like, you have Joel, you have Maxi, and you have a Tobias who's going to take all these shots now, shoot a good efficiency. And it's not like Tobias is taking bad shots. He's getting to the basket, he's taking mid-ranges, and he's knocking down his corner threes like he usually does on his catch-and-shoots because that's where he excels in the catch-and-shoot. Um, and I just think when you have Ubre, you know, as the fourth score, it's kind of like when you're looking at Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, um, Jimmy Butler, and JJ Redick. You didn't need JJ to be your fourth leading, your top scorer, but he was going to get you points. You know, this is the first time since when was it, 2018, 2019, when four stars on the Sixers average above 15 points per game. So I think this is good news, and I think going forward. Everyone should be excited about this Sixers team, especially like Hen was talking, the culture. This team wants to play together. They are having fun together. And I think when you mesh like that as a team, you see championship aspirations. You can feel it. You can feel it with the coaching staff. You can feel it with each other and believing in each other. And when we look at what Harden's bringing to the Clippers, it doesn't really look like a, a championship aspiration team over there. Yeah, it, it's interesting because obviously when Harden came into the Sixers, and it's funny because, so uh, as 
Joe Joe mentioned. I, I'm I'm going to school in North Jersey, so you know not only you know there's some Philly representation, but there's also there's some New York rep representation, especially Nets fans. And I remember when the the Sixers had traded for James Harden, and there was like they all my friends who are Nets fans, like all oh, you're falling for the trap of being excited for James Harden. And look, James Harden, especially I mean. He had his moments, definitely. I mean, that game one against the Celtics last year was one of the best Sixers playoff performances I had ever seen. And But it it just seems like he ran his course here, and the Sixers are better off that. And looking at the Clippers, not really playing all that inspiring basketball. Obviously, it's seven games in. We can it, Stuff can easily change on a dime. But I... I I was hesitant of them trading at first just because I knew the value wasn't going to be worth a James Harden value. And I mean, you you got two second round picks, you got a you got a slew of role players. We'll see if any of that gets flipped on later. We'll talk about some stuff maybe, but the Sixers have just been better off that. And I actually funny, I saw a tweet uh, earlier today saying that the guy who uh, who blocked James Harden for getting on the bus uh, for their first game uh, should. Should throw uh, should uh, ring the bell first game of the NBA Finals. We'll see if the, if it gets that. But I mean, look, who know? It, it's good that they moved on from him and got rid of and got rid of him because, like I said, I think he just ran its course. The Sixers are playing much more team oriented basketball. It's obvious from certain Sixers players that they just didn't gel well with James Harden, and and now there's a conversation of what is James Harden's legacy going to be. Uh, Obviously, if you ask this question when he was with the Rockets, it's completely different to what is now because he is eviscerated, you know, Brooklyn and, I mean, Philadelphia was also kind of in his path, although the Sixers are much better off than the Brooklyn Nets are right now. But, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Obviously, the team is gelling better without him. It's it's an additional by subtraction kind of a situation. But, yeah, I'm, I, I, wish, I wasn't excited at the prospect just because at originally, but, I mean, hey, it's paying dividends right now. Yeah, I, I was right there with you. When we first made the trade, I'm like, how do you not get Terrence Mann or Norman Powell? I thought, I mean, everybody that was saying, we got to get Paul George or Kawhi back for Harden, I thought they were delusional. There was no world where that was ever going to happen. But, like you said, we got some picks, and then I don't know really how much production we're going to get out of the KJ Martin. Nick Fatoon had that hot start. He was, he was you know, popping off against the Wizards, opened up four for four, but... You know, nice to see Robert Covington back, good for the locker room. He was clearly ecstatic to be back. But, yeah, I mean, I really wanted a Terrence man and would have been more than happy with a Norman Powell. But, like you said, addition by subtraction. And he was never going to play for us. You know, it just – it was like when you moved Ben. Like, and people were upset that we only got Harden back for Ben because even at the time people weren't – I was happy, I was thrilled. But it's just you got to look at it like the guy wasn't going to suit up for us. He literally said – he said it twice you know he made sure he was clear when he said that over in china i will never play for daryl morey ever again and he reiterated it he said it again yeah he showed up to training camp a little bit tried to get on the plane got denied but he we weren't going to get a full you know bought in james harden it was the move you had to make you really you had no choice and you got what you got but i want to ask you guys a question as we are currently constructed what teams in the east scare you the most all things considered matchup everything for the sixers going forward and when we eventually get down to the stretch who are you looking at right now and really concerned with i think you know what most people would say would be the bucks and the celtics i don't see anyone else being a problem uh the heat i just i think the heat 
yeah, they played good in the playoffs, but I just don't see them competing with this new coach Sixers, especially with the Tyrese Maxey that we have now. Um, Joel against I'll take Joel against Bam any day of the week, uh, especially size matchup and just what Joel can do. Um, but then you look at the Bucks, um, Giannis and Dame. Dame Dame's gonna be Dame. It's Dame time in Milwaukee, and then you always have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, but. You know, can Jalen Brown dribble with his left hand? It clearly looks like he still can't. Um, that $300 million, you know, contract, $69 million in his last year might have been the wrong contract extension in Boston. Yeah, I would say the the two – I mean, those are the two big teams. I would say I, I, would say I wouldn't dis- discount the Heat. You know, they've proven themselves to be one of the top-tier teams in the East since then. I mean, they've made – three Eastern Conference Finals, uh, two NBA Finals. They they clearly have something that works for them. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't discredit them, obviously. We'll see. You know, they, they're off to a slow start. Tyler here is expected to miss some time. We'll, we'll see. Obviously, plays that. I actually am a bit more worried about the Celtics than the Bucks because what the way I look at it is I think the Sixers with Joel Embiid, you know, being like the defensive anchor, I think is one of the worst, match, is one of the worst matchups for Giannis. Giannis is a guy, you know, t- talented player, one of the best players in the league, but he's not a, you know, a prolific all-around scorer. He's obviously great at scoring to the rim, and he's great at drawing fouls, but, you know, we've seen with other teams. Miami has done it multiple times. The Toronto Raptors did it in 2019, where if you have a real good rim protector or a wall of defenders, which I think the Sixers do, especially with some of these reinforcements they have brought in. Yes, you did lose P.J. Tucker, but... You do bring in a Rocco, a Nick Batum. You, you have some, and, and Paul Reed's obviously on the team as well. You have some size in the front court. That's a bit of a mismatch for Giannis. Obviously, the Bucks are still a very talented team with, you know, with a lot of depth, and they've obviously won before, uh, you know, most of this core. But the Celtics are the team I think I'm a little more worried about just because, you know, the perimeter defensive talent isn't, you know, there isn't a guy that I'm, you, you, you can pencil and saying, oh, I can put X onto Tatum or, you know, a combination of these two. Uh, we'll see. But Tatum obviously did, you know, did his thing. He had his moments against this, the Sixers. Jalen Brown, for as much as he gets memed on, he still is a competent player. And then I am intrigued to see how the Chris Porzingis dynamic will work. I mean, I think Joel Embiid has had his history, but Chris Porzingis is the best big the Celtics have had since, you know, this kind of... Even if you're dating back to when they blew up the original big three, I think Chris Hops is the most talented big they've had in this kind of era. So we'll see. But I think the Sixers, if they can make a couple of – you know, obviously you got got to stay healthy and keep pace. But I think a couple of deadline acquisitions, you're you're obviously right there in the thick of it. But those are the the teams I would say I'm I'm most worried about. Yeah. I'm definitely worried about the – of course Celtics and Bucks but there's another team on my radar that has caught my attention and that's the Atlanta Hawks they're second in points per game and the real reason I'm pinpointing them is because I think they have a guy who's taken a leap that nobody's talking about Jalen Johnson out of Duke in his first two seasons people wrote him off called him a bust now yeah he went in I think he was the 2020 or 21st pick in the first round so it's not like he was a lottery pick with those high expectations, but he was still a great player at Duke. 
came into the league in his first two years was averaging five points per game. Now, all of a sudden, he's averaging 15 points per game, and he's starting for Quinn Snyder. And I look at Trey Young. I look at DeAndre Hunter, DeJounte Murray. They just paid Ogonkwu. They signed Sadiq Bey, underrated shooter. And I just think they are a bad matchup for the Sixers personnel-wise just because they have the small guards and shooting Brogdon Bogdanovich, lights-out shooter, always plays his best ball against the Sixers. They can spread us out, and they can really kind of expose and beat on the switches like they did in 2021. Yeah, we had a Ben Simmons meltdown, and we didn't have Nick Nurse. But I I'm, I know people aren't the biggest fan of him, but I really like Trey Young. And I think it's so unfair how people call Luka Doncic the best player in the league under 25. And I know Trey Young's, what is he now, 26 now. But to me, I look at them, they've done the same. They both took their team to an Eastern Conference final, yet people praise Luka, call him a bona fide top five player. And Trey Young, I mean, simp- like just about the same points per game, more assists, and just less boards. So better three-point percentage shooting-wise, and I know they're not, you know, odds on. They're not a top, top um, eight in title odds or anything like that. But the Hawks, I think, could be a scary matchup if you got them at the wrong time and their shooting was hot. Now I would still, t- I would still pick the Sixers to win that series, but the Hawks are just, I got my eye on them. Yeah, I would say I actually, I love the Trey Young gas. I think Trey Young is. Probably the most I, I don't know if underrated is the word or maybe underappreciated. I mm-hmm. you know like you said, I don't think he's at Luca's level. I think he's just a step below. But you're looking at a guy who's been since his second year in the league, essentially a 28 and 10 guy on you know especially for his size, good efficiency. And I yeah, there's obviously the defensive lapses with his size. He's just kind of small, and also he isn't. You know, he doesn't help with his instincts and his kind of efforts a little lack sometimes as well. But he's a big game player. He's, you know, he's he's the offense. He is the offense for Atlanta. But, like, I don't know if it's just because, you know, it's a lot of, like, if you're looking at the media, a lot of the East Coast media doesn't really like Trey Young because you had the incident with when he beat the Sixers, he beat the Knicks, he gave Boston some fits last season. But I just think he's, he's such a great player. Uh, and... There's always going to be that comparison just because they were traded for each other. Yep. Uh, but he, he is a very special player who I just gets discounted by a lot of the NBA media. And he, he is a very special player. He's he's one of my favorite players to watch. I feel like he's always – you're always seeing special something special from him. But, yeah, I love the Trey Young gas. The Hawks, they did come out of nowhere a couple of years ago, and they made some noise – I don't know. I, I'd still take the Sixers as well just because I think you have the best player and the best player will be on the Sixers. And I also trust the coaching a lot more now. And mm-hmm. there's no Ben Simmons. But right. I, I appreciate the Hawks shot. It, it's, def, it's, a, it, it's definitely a Warren thing. And we'll see if they if they can get a top five, uh, be a top five team in the East. Yeah, I mean, like yeah, – I'm, I'm not worried about the Hawks. Not I, I, I mean, let me, let me tell you why right now. DeJounte Murray's averaging 22 a game. Trey Young's averaging 21 a game. Tyrese Maxey – Tyrese Maxey is averaging 25. He's averaging more than both of them. Um, Tobias Harris is two points below their top score Jeez. in your th- we are third seven score. Games into the season. Seven games. Seven I'm just games. saying, man. I know, but it's not. Dejounte, like Dejounte. Let me tell you, Dejounte Murray's not going to give you any more than 22 a game. He can't. 22. He hasn't. 22. He hasn't done it in he's, his entire career. He's defense and passing. 
yeah. fast break. He's, like he's an all he's an all he's an all NBA caliber defender. He's a good he's a good playmaker. The Trey Young scoring will go up. He, he he's sure. he's right now starting off the season uh, like for well, all his shooting splits are terrible right now. Right yeah. now, so, seven games in. Yeah, so I, I, I'm you know regression to the mean will will probably hit soon for Trey Young, but yeah, I mean. I'm not saying that I'm not saying the Sixers are worse, and I'm not even no, saying that the Hawks are a conference finals team. I'm just I I appreciate the Trey Young gas because I do think he I feel like he gets slandered a lot more than he probably should, and then they do have some very intriguing young players. I mean, Onyeko Kangwu seems to be kind of building it together. Him and Clint Capella are a good big man tandem. Uh, Jalen Johnson, he was also another guy who came in who came into his draft year very young. Had a lot of promises. A three-point shooter has is growing his offensive game more now this season. But well, I mean, we'll obviously see. You know, they'll yeah, probably just, have to. I feel like I was gonna say, I, they're probably they're gonna play them regardless. You can go, Joe. Yeah, no, nah, we. I feel like we're gonna see him whether it be the first or second round. But I just feel like when I think about like maybe the top twenty-five most underrated players in the league, I feel like the Hawks have like four or five of them on their roster. And not only that, like you were talking about last year, him with Trey Young in the playoffs. DeJounte Murray was out in that series, and he took Boston to six games. You know, they were the odds-on favorite, odds-off favorite, excuse me, going into the playoffs last year. And he took that team. I mean, he, that shot that he hit from, what, 35 out, buzzer beater to win it. Like, he is a big game player, Trey Young, for sure. Now, yeah, like you said, I would, if it, you know, push a button, give me Luka or Trey, I'm going to take Luka. But I think the gap between them is much closer than the national media likes to let on. Yeah, I it, it's close, but I just feel like Luca's. I think easily clears him just because of what he can do. Um, like to me, like as soon when I saw Luca play the Suns in the Eastern in the Western Conference Finals and just shut him out, drop like forty plus, like that was like a statement game, you know, to go to the Western Conference Finals and beating that Suns team um, to go play the Warriors, and you know, I just feel like. The way he can, sh- yes, he does take a million shots a game. Um, him and Kyrie both take over twenty-five plus shots a game. But I think Luca's rebounding uh, ability, um, just I feel like is more of an all-around player, and that's why he can do it at an elite level. And that's why I think he's a clear step above Trey Young. I mean, yeah, it's 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 a it's a size. You know, Trey Young and Luca provide similar effect have a similar effect on their offense it's just that one is you know six one you know maybe like a buck 70 buck 80 the other one's a six seven six eight bowling ball like who can (laughs) you know your size playoff games but yeah 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 it's it's just the size of them which is the big factor but they're both very talented players i would say luca is a step above but i think that shouldn't be a discredit or discounting that shouldn't discount trey young 100%. 100%. All right, another question for y'all. So, is Tyrese Maxey officially untouchable? Or for the right price, would you deal him and go all in on this year with Embiid's prime? He's untouchable. I mean, he's going to be an all-star this year. I, the I, way I, he's shooting now and the way he can play right now, he is an all-star this year. I mean, if we're looking at it, like, realistically, like, who would be available on the trade market? Yeah, he's untouchable. But, like... There obviously are players I would trade for him, but they're not going to be available. Like, 
the best player at the deadline is probably going to be either Levine, OG Anobi, DeMar DeRozan, one, one of the one of maybe those Seattle. If the only thing, if Toronto like is really bad this year, I could see them like just like if they're not even in playoff contention, they're just gonna I think sell and keep Scotty Barnes and just build around. Barnes. He's Scotty Barnes took a jump this year. He took a He's huge hooping. Yeah, he has been good, but. So, realistically, just looking at the picture of who's available, yeah, I think, yeah, you wouldn't trade Tyrus Maxey. Now, if it was last year and, like, when Kevin Durant was on the open market, I, I would, it's Kevin Durant. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm trading, I would trade Maxey for Durant. But looking at the trade deadline market right now, there's no one available who I would say, like, I would trade Maxey for. Because, for me, that just seems like a, a lateral move. Like, Zach Levine is probably is slightly better than Tyrese Maxey, but he's not like I wouldn't I say know. he's he's a needle mover. I my I'm heart, my, heart's, I, my heart's talking a little with this, but yeah, yeah, I I hear you. Like yeah, but like it's not a needle mover kind of a deal. It's not like you're going from a top 30 40 player to a top 10 15 player. You're going from a top 30 40 player to a top 25 30 player like the the margin is very small that you wouldn't do it especially if you're trying to compete this season so given the current trade market i I wouldn't trade him but unless something opens up where you have like a legitimate bona fide superstar on the market then you could entertain some conversations agreed all right i have i I got one more question for you guys then I, i want i want raw honesty here are you feeling more optimistic, or is it another year of the same stuff? I'm feeling optimistic. I like where they're at, right? I like where the Sixers are at. I want to see a trade before the deadline, though. I want one more star that can pair with Joel, with Maxi, with Ubre. You know, if Ubre comes off the bench, I think that would be great. I think he would be a great six man if you can get another star in here and then. You know, have Ubre lead the scoring off the bench uh, next to Tobias. Um, I want to see like a Levine or Ananobi. That's who I think would pair best with this team. Again, Nurse has connections with Ananobi. Loves him. They get along like Loves father him. and son. Very good defensive forward. Can create blocks, steals, take over a game defensively, and can. When he's asked for to be like a third four scorer, that's when he can excel at his best, and that's when he excelled at his best in Toronto. So those two would be on my trade market, and I think Ananobi would be my number one target for the 76ers. And that's how they can beat Boston in a seven-game series, beat Milwaukee in a seven-game series, and make it out of the second round. So in terms of your first question of like how optimistic I am, I, I'll start off with this. I, I'm in a much more optimistic state right now than I was, excuse me, heading into the season. I had, entering the season, I had absolutely, this. It, I'm, I'm going to be upfront. It was the least excited I was, I'd been for a Sixers fan since I've been a fan. Just because, I mean, if you look at the reality, they've played, so since 2018, they've made the playoffs every year and have lost in the first or second round every year. And oh, yeah, only year we didn't lose in the second round was when we got swept when we didn't have Ben in the bubble by Boston. Every other year, second round exit. 
Every I mean, year, second round exit and one first round exit. You look at the Sixers, they just, you know, James Harden is gone, who was their second best player, top 15 player. You're not getting another caliber player back. I had absolutely zero excitement for this team. I, I'm a little more bought in now. Like, I, like I enjoy watch. I enjoy watching Nick, the Nick Nurse Sixers. I think they are a fun team. But the reality of the situation is I don't think I'll ever truly, like, be optimistic until it actually happens. It's like a wait for it to see what happens. It's because it is what it is. I mean, how like it seems like every year, you know, and I'm I'm I, I so I'm getting on a little tangent. Every year it seems like they find some miraculous way to lose in epic fashion. You have, you know, 2018 was the Marco Bellinelli stepping on the three point line game in Game Three. Confetti you have, goes off. Yep, everything. Yeah, confetti goes off. They end up losing. Marcus Marcus Morris, who is now a Sixer, throws up the three zero sign to uh, I think it was Embiid. I forget who it was. Yeah. Um, 2019, obviously the Kawhi shot. I, I don't have to really go into any more. It was a travel, but <laughs> don't really have to go into explanation of that one. 2021, they're up by like 20. They're up like what 26, 27 in game in, in what was it? Game five, game four, and, and then favored in every single game that series, yeah. which is what and broke me. The, yeah, and in the infamous game seven, which I had the pleasure of attending live, uh, for the uh when. It all went down when they lost. So there's that. Next year, they pick up James Harden, but then Joel Embiid misses the first two games. And they're starting DeAndre Jordan, so they're basically already handicapped from the start. Last year, they pulled a game. They pulled a miraculous game one win without Embiid. On the they're road, they're up three two, and then they choke. They choke a lead in game six, and then they twenty. They get twenty eight to three in the third quarter. I'm never fully gonna believe that they're gonna win a championship until they actually, uh, until they actually like do it. It's like a matter of ha- it happening. But I am in a much more optimistic state. Like I'm actually enjoying like watching games that, it, as opposed to, like I probably wasn't if like they weren't doing well. Which I mean it makes sense. But yeah. But in terms of like who I think, I agree, Chase. They need to get someone at the deadline, either Levine or OG Anobi. I think Levine adds a bit more as a scorer, which. You know, I, and I think he's just a better player. But if you're ter- looking at skill set, I think you know Anobi is a perimeter guy that you're confident throwing at a at a Brown, a, a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown. You know, he does have some ability as a playmaker as well. He has that relate like he's with Nick Nurse when they won in 2019. He's been coached by Nick Nurse. He knows how the Nick Nurse system operates. There won't be that, you know, j- the the gelling period won't last as long because he's he was with them for so long. I'd be fine with other anyone, but I you kind of I feel like you have to go with you got to get someone because I like Ty, I I'm a big Tyrese Maxey fan I think he's good but when you're stacking up to the rest of the NBA he's just as a number two you know you, you need some more oomph there if you're not gonna get it as another two you're you, need, you want some more depth you know someone else who you can trust you know who you know can give you twenty points on any given night if if it comes down to it so. I am cautiously opti- I'm I don't know if, I don't even have cautiously optimistic is the right word. I am realistic until they prove me wrong, but I am I have been enjoying my time watching the Sixers which I didn't think I would be saying like, you know, I, which I didn't think would have been possible, you know, even a few weeks ago. Yeah, and I hear you. I hear you. And thank you for the uh the dreadful recap of the past 6 years. Uh, 
but who? Yeah, I I remember that game. It was uh, so I I've, I've told this. Well, I mean, I have never told it on like this platform really. But I so I went to the game. It was on Father's Day. It's part of the, you know, the the days like Sixers never do well on days associated with parent holidays because Mother's Day was both the Raptors game and the uh. And the game was the game. The game seven. Yeah. Or no. They were both it, on it Mother's Day. It was game six at home, which was the uh, Mother's yeah. Day massacre when we lost. Yeah. So game six at home, and then it was the game seven in Toronto. They both were on Mother's Day, and then the game seven was on Father's Day. I actually didn't go with my. I actually. Uh, people always give me stuff for this. I did not actually go with my own dad. I went with my friend's dad. Uh, <laughs> on on that day we went, and I it was funny because I remember. Uh, we were at my we were at my friend's house watching Game Six, and he said we should get tickets for Game Seven. I thought they were gonna beat the Hawks, and I said no, I'd rather watch a conference finals game. But he convinced me to buy uh, Game Seven tickets. Um, and I, you know, I'm sitting like way, like way, way, way up. Like I'm like mid court, like I'm like not mid court. Um, behind the basket, one of the baskets, top row. Like I am way up there uh, watching it, and. Yeah, uh, it was brutal experience. I I was wearing actually, I was wearing a Ben Simmons jersey at the time. I took it off. I never put it. I took it off after the game had ended. Took it off. There were bonfires going on, burning jerseys. I I couldn't burn a jersey. I I still I think at my house back home in Pennsylvania. But I I. But yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience. I I mean, I'm I'm glad that I got to experience. Oh, I don't know if I'm glad it was experience, but like, you know, it, it's definitely experience I won't forget. Yeah. But yeah. But no, yeah. So that was, and that was the, yeah. I mean, that was the last Sixers playoff game I've been to. Uh, I didn't. So yeah. Well, for me, as far as optimism goes, and I hate to be the guy to say it, I'm not optimistic at all. And I gotta say, after last year when we lost in seven, and Embiid was sitting at the podium, throwing, being the opposite of Jalen Hurts, essentially putting everybody else under the bus, and. And I look at it like there's an old rule in basketball and playoff series is your best players got to win two games, your second best players got to win you one game, and the team's got to win you the, another game. And Harden dropped 240 pieces. I, I was happy to get Harden out of here. Harden, it wasn't work with him, but he did show up in those games, and we wouldn't have won him without him. The team really didn't give you a win, but MB didn't really have a dominant like 45 point. Like He needed to make a statement in game six or seven, and he didn't. And I was of the mindset right then and there that Embiid needs to go. You can't win in this league with a big man as your best player. And then here comes Jokic and the Nuggets. They go and win it. Now, hindsight 2020, horrible take by me. But I doubled down on the Lakers when they were down. I was certain they were not going to the finals. I just thought Anthony Davis was going to lock Jokic up. I, it was one of my coldest basketball takes. I was completely wrong. I said there's no way the Nuggets win the finals. And then I faded them again in the finals. And then they go on to win that too with Jokic being their best player, a center, a big man. But I still, I'm going to be honest again here, and I know it's not the popular take. I think Jokic is better than Embiid, and I don't think we're ever going to win a championship with Embiid as our best player. And I think you need to trade him while he still has elite MVP value and get a haul of picks back and just restart this thing. And I'm just, maybe I'm a broken Sixers fan, but... I just can't stand the way Embiid handled it at the podium after that Game 7 loss this year. That is when I turn, turn the narrative with Embiid. No, I, I don't hate that. Uh, the only issue is that this year the draft class kind of sucks. So that's why I was like... So, but... No, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how you cannot feel that way. Just, like, I feel like he's had, like, if you're talking about, and this is going to sound crazy, if you're talking about, like, this generation's Patrick Ewing, and I, I think Embiid's better than Patrick Ewing, but, like, just in terms of someone who is, like, a superstar. He's who a freak, always, yeah. I mean, he's a yeah, freak. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, great player, great regular season player, you know, won an MVP, multiple scoring titles, was a runner-up in MVP multiple times as well. But if you're looking at, you know, this generation's playoff choker, it's Joel Embiid. It, it, I mean... It is. Like, uh, I forget I forget the exact stat, but it was like his playoff, his playoff points per game last season from his regular season was like the lowest drop by any MVP or scoring champ in NBA history. It's just un- unacceptable. Now... If history stalls anything, you only need one championship to ever break the narrative. You know, look at Dirk Nowitzki in Dallas. They broke the narrative. Uh, the Heatles. I mean, even Jokic had that narrative, which is part of the reason why people didn't vote him to win MVP. That was part of the narrative going into last season, and he yep. broke it. The The Raptors for a long time had that with uh, Kyle Lowry. You know, he, he went from a playoff choker to, you know, he's now a culture setter in Miami, which it was only indicative of one final series. KD had that narrative, but I don't know if you can even give him the credit just because he did join that super team. But he got his. Two he points. was the best player on that team, but I, yeah. that's a different conversation. Yeah. But he, he he was the best player on that team. But I mean, yeah. So could it happen? Sure, it could happen. I, I'm I'm with you. Like I, I'm like I'm not gonna believe it until I actually see it. But yeah. So I mean, that's just my stance on it. Uh, I don't know if. I don't know if they are going to trade him now. Uh, I'd say, I would say they give him at least. I don't. I don't. I got to see his contract again. I would say they give him at least this year and next year. That's uh, when his contract could, would be up for renewal after next year. Yeah. So, you know, player option for uh, well. So he had the extension. So it's this year, next year, twenty twenty six, uh, will be his last year before it's a oh, player my bad, option. My bad. My bad. Apologies yeah. on that. You're all good. So yeah. So he has a. Four-year contract uh, with a with a third so three-year contract with a fourth-year player option. Um, so I mean, two years. You know, you're you're looking at his age 30, 31 season. That seems like a time to trade him. That's when, especially a lot of big men, they seem to. That's when the injuries really start kicking in. Could obviously change that, but you are talking about Joel Embiid, who's also had a very long hit injury history, of, especially in the lower body, which is where a lot of these injuries happen. Yep. But I mean, we'll see. I mean, it's also crazy to think about that. The you know you're lo- you're saying that it's impossible to win with maybe if not the greatest sixer of all time, uh, the most talented. I, I I mean, there's definitely arguments to be made, but I don't know if you know. Right. I mean, you've had some legends. Will Doctor J. Yeah, AI. Will Doctor J. Yeah. AI. It's and hard when you have a seven foot two center who can move like. Olajuwon and shoot the way he is, have back-to-back scoring titles since Shaq, win an MVP. Be a def- great defensive player. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, obviously in terms of, like, accolades and accomplishments, he's, you know, he has one MVP, which a lot of the Sixers legends have. Uh, he doesn't have that championship or even that signature playoff run like Allen Iverson had. So you do, you know, that's the, that's the thing going against him. But in terms of pure talent, I feel, you know, the conversation's definitely – to be had but you know right now it's just speculation because we're seven games into a season but yeah 
Yeah, and I, I mean, agree. the regular season and postseason are almost two different games. Like, just the way defense is played, I just, I don't know if it's made for Embiid. Like, I see him piecing the Wizards up, you know, 29 and a quarter. Like, I've never seen anything close to that. Well, it's the Wizards, that. that's why. Yeah, of course, but, you know, <laughs> I've never seen anything no. close like that in the playoffs from him. No, no, I mean, I, I, it's, it's a thing that I've, like, I've seen on, like, Twitter as, like, a troll, but, like, I... I don't know what is a Joel Embiid signature playoff game. I I mean, probably when he had the mask in 2018 against Boston and he's running down on dunks on a uh, Baines. Probably yeah. The best I mean thing that I or maybe the the shot he hit against the Raptors. Uh, the game winner. Not, yeah, the game winner not last year but the year before. But I mean, yeah, well, I mean yeah. So it's just look. The narrative could be changed. It could be changed this year, or it could just be a situation where. You know, the Sixers go down as, you know, uh, I mean. If we go out in the the... second round again, I don't know if I'm watching a single game next year. (laughs) You're watching another game, but I mean, but yeah, I mean, look, it's only speculation at this point. Uh, I guess enjoy Embiid when you have it, because I mean, also the likelihood of getting another Joel Embiid is very rare. So, but I mean, I mean, we'll see. They're doing well right now. Could just be a you know a honeymoon phase or a regular season phase, and in the playoffs it's the same story. But you know why why worry about stuff that you, that hasn't happened yet? True. Yeah. New coaching staff, different culture, different players. Uh, you get the you know you get the cone out of the way and uh, road cone out of the way, and James Harden, who just seems like he was all about himself, and yes, he you know improved Tyrese Maxey's game, but at the same time it felt like. Players were uncomfortable around him. Doc was afraid to coach him. Granted, Doc being out is one of the best things that happens to the Sixers in, I would say, the past five years. Um, but, yeah, you can't predict anything. Time will tell the story. And we'll get back to another episode of Small Town Big Takes. Diving into the Sixers again, seeing where they at, maybe a midway point. And if this team is legit or not. And so far, they seem like they are. But only time will tell. Absolutely. And thank you again for hopping on. Thanks for being on the show. Happy to have you. will take us out.